Hey everyone, and happy Monday. Real quick, Maddie and I want to introduce you to a kick-ass podcast we started listening to called The Scary Movie Project. The hosts are amazing and the content is top-notch. I mean, if you're listening to us, we know you probably enjoy a good scary movie now and then. Be sure to check them out. Enjoy your week and remember... Be kind and stay weird. Hey, Matt, what's your favorite horror movie franchise? Mm, gotta be the Halloween movies. Hey, Tara, who is your favorite horror film villain? Ooh, the Cenobites from Hellraiser. What's the worst horror sequel? Mm, not just the worst horror sequel, the worst sequel in film history, Exorcist 2. Now, other side of that, what's the best horror sequel? Okay, ironically, that is Exorcist 3. What's your favorite horror movie podcast? Without a doubt, The Scary Movie Project. You would say that. Subscribe to The Scary Movie Project wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Scary Movie Project. The following episode contains discussion of murder and may be upsetting or triggering for some listeners. Please also be aware if there are children in the room as well. As always, thank you so much for continuing to support us on this awesome journey, and thank you for listening. This is the What If I Told You podcast, a show where we draw a total blank and have nothing witty to say at the beginning of this episode. Hey! So, yeah, guys, we are back together again. It's been like three weeks at this point. Two weeks? Um, I think like two weeks, probably. Yeah. It's been uh, rough. It's been, yeah. I didn't think I was going to make it, honestly. No. So here we are. We're we're making it through. I don't know that my health has come all the way back to me from the distance that we've had to maintain for the last three weeks, but it'll get there. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. My weekends feel a little bit empty. Yeah. But we're back. Um, I hate recording virtually. I hate the way it sounds. But we did what we had to do, and uh, we are all breakfast up this morning. Yeah. And we got some Sonic because it was a rough morning for both of us, I think, and uh, we weren't going to be flipping any eggs at 8 a.m. No, no. I I did think about it um, this morning when I woke up. I woke up at like 8, which is a little... A little later than I typically do, but uh, our girl Ariel's birthday was this past week, so she had a party last night, and I had between five and seven G&Ts. 
Damn. I don't know exactly how many. But Damn. my tab at the bar was only like $19. So either they were not that expensive or they just didn't count all of them. Yeah. Huh. Maybe there was a discount. Maybe. I like mean, a, I don't like know. Like Bath and Body Works. Yeah. Buy three, get three. Yep. That's probably <laughs> the deal that I got. But yeah, the gin and tonics were flowing hard. That sounds terrible. But I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Gross. They didn't give me enough lime, though, is the problem. There, to me, there probably couldn't be enough lime for a G&T. <laughs> yeah, the first one I had, she gave me literally a sliver of lime. And I said, listen, if this is the size of all of your limes, I'm going to need about five. Yeah. And so then every time I ordered a drink after that, I was like, I need a gin and tonic with five limes. Damn. And she was like, okay, you're on the limes. <laughs> need a cup of limes, please. Yes. But it was a good time. There were a lot of people there. All of my siblings were there. Perfect. It was a real family affair to celebrate our girl Ariel and her 30th birthday. Happy birthday, Ariel. What up? And her bandmate, Sarah, also celebrated a birthday. She's like one of the coolest girls ever. She plays bass in Ariel's band. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, they're the shit, Ariel and Sarah. That awesome. sounds fun. Yeah. I, uh, I haven't had a night out in a, I mean, a long time, but especially since lockdown. I mean, it's yeah. not like we really do much anyways. Yeah. Um, Hell, I'm even exactly. excited to go out for my birthday dinner for sushi with you. Yeah. It's going to be real. Fu- it's going to be really good. Oh, I'm so excited. Wow, it's like, ugh. Can I just say that it feels like someone punched me in my eyebrow bone? Maybe maybe Keegan did in your sleep. He might have. Like, it it hurts, like, right here. Like maybe, And I do have a headache on the side of my head. Maybe you caught, like, an elbow in, <laughs> in your sleep. I tell you what, Keegan twitches hard in his sleep. Yeah. Like, enough to wake me up. Like, usually because his arm's, like, around, like, my shoulder. And he'll, like, jerk inward. So it then, like, pulls me back into his body real hard. And I'm like, sir... Please calm down. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it probably happened. It's been happening more often, but we've also been falling asleep to the Eric Andre show. Okay. I'm going to need you to switch on an episode of that. (laughs) It's, uh, they're like 15 minutes long. Yeah, it's like an Adult Swim style thing, right? It's, I mean, it's Eric Andre has this talk show, but it's psychotic. The other night, I can't remember what guest was on. Was it Howie Mandel? I think it was. And there's just no way you can describe that show without just watching it. But randomly, like, this drone, like, flew over Eric's desk and it had, like, raw hot dogs hanging from it. And Eric was like, I'm hungry. I need a snack. And so he took scissors and, like cut the hot dogs in half and they like dropped onto his desk and he started eating them (laughs) and I was like oh my god that's that's outrageous yeah it is outrageous um we usually fall asleep to Parks and Rec yeah it uh, last night Keegan turned it on yeah this morning since I was up till like 
2 or 3 a.m. And I was like, listen, I think this is doing some shit to my brain. Yeah. And I think it's doing some shit to yours, too. Yeah. It's pretty funny, though. Have you ever watched the talk show that Zach Galifianakis has, Between Two Ferns? Yeah. That one is really good. (laughs) (laughs) His, he does... His interview of Brad Pitt is hilarious. Mm-hmm. And then Obama. Obama's is good. He does Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. They're all really good. I think the, his Brad Pitt interview, though, might be his best. The Obama one is a close second. Yeah. Yeah. I. It's been a minute since I've seen the Brad Pitt one, but I just saw the other day Hillary's was on just a random post. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but yeah. It's hilarious. So good. Okay. Uh, anyway. Yeah, we're going to get straight into the topic of today. This is like the earliest in an episode we've ever come in straight to the topic. Yeah, and we fucked around for the first five minutes of recording. Yeah. Trying to get an angle that you can't see this huge pimple with. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah, we're trying to be creative and get... Our TikTok game lit. It's it's getting better because Maddie took it over. Okay. <laughs> uh, that time lapse and it worked out pretty good. Yeah, that I mean, we're we're rising to the top, you guys. We're gonna get there, just like the cream. So yeah, check out our TikTok, please. It would be so great. And our topic of today is a huge case. You've definitely heard of it definitely you probably know everything about this case because it's one of those yeah well and it's one you have to do you have to it's like a it's a staple case every single true crime show i've ever listened to covers this case yes so we are doing the murder of lacey peterson and her son connor peterson so it's a big one It's a big one. Who was Lacey Peterson? She was born Lacey Rocha on May 4th, 1976. And May 4th is an excellent birthday. Uh, It's Star Wars Day. Oh, yeah, duh. So, now in 1976, it was not Star Wars Day. Probably was not. But it is now, so that's an excellent birthday to have. Shout out to all you May 4th birthdays. Um, Her parents were Sharon and Dennis, and her older brother was named Brent. Her parents owned a dairy farm west of Escalon, California. I think that's how you pronounce it, but I'm not totally sure. They had a dairy farm. That sounds pretty cool, you know? Cows and... What else? You could probably have goats on a dairy farm, too, right? I mean, I think so. Because, like, you get goat milk and goat cheese. Just different machines, probably. Yeah. You probably have to have two different setups to have both. That's true. Because goats are smaller. Yeah. Duh. I do love goat cheese, though. I love goats. I really like goats. I had some goats, and... Yeah. We had... We had a couple of goats. My dad actually had a couple of goats several years ago. And he had a billy goat named Billy. Clever. 
And he would wait. We would wake up in the morning, and Billy would just be like standing on my dad's truck. I love that. So my goat's name was Sam. Nice. And someone stole him from me. What a dick. <laughs> yeah, it I, was traumatizing. How are you just going to be out here stealing someone's goat? I don't know. And they didn't feed him and he died. Uh, my family uh, tracked those dicks down. Of course. Detectives. I mean, talk about childhood trauma. Yeah. Can I just tell you that I'm pretty sure my dad fake buried this goat? I don't know if he actually like got got it back. It was cute. It was white with big black spots over it. Aww. So it was like a dairy cow goat. Yeah. And uh, I <laughs> when I was little, I used to write notes to him. Aww. And then I would put them in like freezer baggies. And his quote unquote grave was on my dad's property. And I would like trek all the way out there and put these little notes that I wrote for my dead goat Sam on his grave and like cover it up with rocks so it wouldn't fly away well that's precious yeah someone someday is gonna find some handwritten letters to a dead goat from a little kid in <laughs> ziploc <laughs> that's amazing oh man uh, dark poor, times well yeah poor sam anywho rip so her parents divorced when Lacey and brent were still pretty young like pretty young and Sharon moved Lacey and Brent to Modesto, California. Um, I don't know how far Modesto was from the dairy farm. It didn't really say, but I don't think it was far. Yeah. Because they would go and stay on the dairy farm with their dad. Yeah. Regularly. Too far. So it couldn't be too far. And Sharon eventually remarried to a man named Ron Gransky, and he was, you know, there to raise Lacey and Brent from the time they were young children uh, all the way through their lives. So he was like a second father figure to them. And Lacey was like a typical girl. She, in high school, was a cheerleader, uh, did all of that, and graduated from Thomas Downey High School, and then attended California Polytechnic State University. Damn. Too, too many names. That is fancy. Yeah. Too many names. Please stop with the four name universities. Pick, like, two. Um, she majored in ornamental horticulture. I don't know what that means. I don't. Yeah. I When I was reading over that, like, I know what horticulture right. is. My thought, the ornamental part of that makes me think it's more like landscape, like aesthetic it could horticulture, be. maybe flowers. I don't know. Ornamental makes me think it's for show, like it's to be looked at. Right. Chip, please figure this out. You know that we just don't have time for that. You know I'm not going to look it up. So in mid-1994, Lacey had a friend who worked at a restaurant called Pacific Cafe. 
And this is where she meets Scott Peterson. Scott also worked at this restaurant and Lacey saw him and she kind of made the first move. Mm -hmm. She was introduced to him by her friend and slipped him her number and was like, yo, hit me up. And he did because she's beautiful. And they were, a, I mean, they were a cute couple. Yeah. They were a handsome couple. Yeah. Like I, people yeah. call it. I would say that. She had a really, like, big smile. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Of course she was confident enough to, you know, be the first move. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you, Lacey. That was very 21st century of you. It was. So, soon after meeting Scott, Lacey even told her mom that she had just met the man she would marry. So when you know, you know. I guess that's true. Um, I think for some people it's not. This case may be illustrating that point. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, you, you don't know people. That's right. I mean, you... I technically guess I don't really know if you're going to try and kill me or not. I guess you really don't. Keep we'll your wits out. about you. We've gone public now, so. (laughs) Guys, uh, if I go missing, (laughs) it's Madeline. It was me. I think I could make it in prison. Yeah, probably. I mean, as long as, you know. I just need to find myself, like, a girlfriend in there. Can you bring people food in prison? No. God. You just have to, like, load their commissary. I'll just, I will just make sure that I have someone on the outside to load my commissary. I was going to say I would bring you, like, TB, but. Mm. There might be special, well, if you're dead and I have gone to prison, your your ghost, your ghost would have to bring me TB, in which case. I was just thinking about you being in prison now, (laughs) not because you murdered me. If I went to prison for murder, maybe people wouldn't fuck with me. That's true. I don't know. I'm not going to commit any murders, though, you guys. Anyway, so obviously, Lacey and Scott start dating. Their first date, actually, kind of ironically, was a deep sea fishing trip on which Lacey got seasick. Ugh. So. I wonder the, what being seasick feels like. I don't know. Never been seasick. I don't want to be seasick. I've been on a boat in the ocean. So I mean, I've been on lots of boats and I've been on a boat in the ocean, but I mean, I don't really remember that experience very much, but I also yeah. get car sick very easily if mm. I'm in the back. Mm. So I'm wondering if it's similar to that feeling. Maybe. I don't know. Huh. So, yeah, their relationship got really serious. Um, He, in college, actually played golf for his college team. Lame. Yeah, come on, Scott. Um, And he actually wanted to be a professional golfer, but he... His name's Scott. Of course he wanted to be a professional golfer. (laughs) Uh, I'm horrible at golf. I can't... I can barely swing the golf club. And make contact with a golf ball. I have never hit a golf ball in my entire life. Oh, really? 
Um, yes. So I have at Top Golf, not at a golf, golf course. course. I've never been to Top Golf. Oh, uh, it's fun. It's I really, really fun. Go. We should go we sometime. Should really go. Keegan talks about it all the time. God, Keegan. Yeah, we're gonna have to go. It's fun. Dakota's really good, and I'm atrocious at it. <laughs> so I just have a tendency to pick things up pretty quickly. Yeah, and just kind of be good at weird things like darts. I don't care about darts, but when we play darts, like. With friends, mm-hmm. I'm pretty good for being someone who doesn't care about it. He's not a, a darter. And I'm decent at bowling. Yeah. For someone who doesn't bowl, I'm really good at card games mm-hmm. and board games. I love board games. And so I I win a lot of the games we play. Mm-hmm. A lot of them. And <laughs> I get a lot of shit for it. But golf is not one of those situations. It was not yeah. like darts where I just randomly threw the darts and they were fine. It's And here I am cracking jokes about golfers. I, I, I mean, no offense to anyone. It's because they wear the dumbest clothes. I just can't watch golf. It is the most I mean, boring. I can't watch any sport. I mean, let's be honest here. Yeah. I'll watch... Uh, What's the fucking name of that Adam Sandler movie? Happy Gilmore. Yeah. Happy Gilmore. That's about the only golf thing I like. Yeah. But, I mean, I can play mini golf. Mini golf is cool. I don't know. Golf is really boring. But honestly, all, to me, I understand people love sports. But to me, all sports are boring. Yeah. Except the Olympics. That is the exception. I will watch almost any Olympic event. The Olympics are fun. Curling. Hell yeah. Man, I watched a video of someone doing the, the, oh, what's it called? When they have the big ball and they like fling it. Curling? Is that curling? The, curling is on the ice where okay, they have so like the, no. and then they sweep. The one where they like hold the ball and they like spin around in a circle and chuck it. Oh, shot put. Yes. I watched that, a video of that the other day and it was insane to me. Yeah. Like, cause once they got going, like, the ball took the weight, and then their body was just, like, spinning. Yeah. I just, it's... I every time I think of shot put, I think of Miss Trunchbull and Matilda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, discus is also one of those weird ones where they, like, hold the disc, and they're like, <laughs> and then they fling it. Yeah. So, Scott gave up his dream of being a professional golfer. In order to pursue a path of business, I, you know, business, whatever. Uh, They dated for two years before moving in together. And I'm guessing Lacey was a, a year ahead of him at college because they waited until he graduated, then got married. So... When he was finishing his senior year of college, Lacey took a job in Prunedale, which was nearby. And then after they had graduated, they got married in August of 1997. Prunedale. Prunedale. Yeah. Prunedale. There's some weird town names in California. So after their marriage, they opened a sports bar in San Luis Obispo. That is correct. Called The Shack. 
And it started slow, but eventually it improved, um, especially on the weekends. I can't say that fucking word. I sound like a child. Uh, particularly? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and in 2000, they sold the shack and they moved back to Lacey's hometown of Modesto because they wanted to start a family. I like the name Modesto. I do too. It sounds very like community friendly. Like you yeah. moved to Modesto to not only feel like you're on vacation, but also be an active uh, city council meeting member. Yeah. And actually, in one of the documentaries that is available on Prime, they talk about Modesto being very community, very tight knit. So it sounds like it. It does. In October of 2000, they purchased a home in an upscale neighborhood near La Loma Park. And soon after, Scott got a job with Trade Corps USA, which was a um, new subsidiary of a European fertilizer company. Mm -hmm. And he was making quite a bit, bringing in like 5000 a month. And, uh, I mean, in 2000, that's a lot of money. That's, that's a lot of money now. Yeah, but... that's a lot of money now. And so Lacey had a job as a substitute teacher. Yeah, I don't know how many days a week she worked as a substitute teacher, um, but most subs don't work every day. Right. So in 2002, Lacey found out that she was pregnant and her due date was February 16th, 2003. And they were going to name their baby Connor. And that is a cute name. It's a very of the time kind of name. Yes. And their entire family, Lacey's and Scott's, were all super excited about this as, you know, they made this move to do this to start a family. Yeah. They knew that Lacey and Scott wanted a baby. And did... Their parents have any other grandchildren at the time? I think so. It doesn't ever come up yeah. in other in articles because other babies don't have anything to do with Lacey. Right. But I feel like there were some other grandchildren around. Because on the dock, there's some like home video footage of Lacey holding a baby. Yeah. At a family gathering. Yeah. So, I'm guessing that there's other babies in the fam. So, now we're going to get into Lacey's disappearance. And pretty much from here on out, it's going to be kind of like story style timeline. Because these are all like very important parts. And especially when we get into Scott's timeline of events... The exact times might seem tedious to include, but it's really important for that. For this case, that timeline is very important. Yeah, it's important and it's a start to finish type deal. Yes. So on December 23rd of 2002, so Lacey is pregnant. Everything is great. Let's see. She was would have been like eight months Almost eight months. Um, seven, eight months pregnant. Yeah. yeah. Scott and Lacey went to 
Salon Salon, where Lacey's sister Amy worked, and Amy cut Scott's hair, and then Scott had offered to pick up the Christmas fruit basket and had been that had been ordered for hers and Lacey's grandfather, as Scott would be playing golf at a nearby course the next day. On December 24th, so we're at Christmas Eve, Scott left the house around 9.30 a.m., not to go golfing as he had determined it was too cold, but to go take out his new boat to fish at the Berkeley Marina. So I'm confused why you wouldn't go golfing because yeah. it's too cold, but you would get on a boat in the water. That's exactly, uh, that's like a huge hang up for a lot of people um, because it doesn't make any sense. You're going to be colder on the water than you're going to be standing on a golf course. Especially in the San Francisco Bay with the breeze com- that comes off of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be way colder. Yeah, way colder. Like, that reasoning doesn't even make sense. It would make more sense if he just said, I just got this new boat, I had some time, I decided I can golf anytime, I'm going to try out this boat. That would have been much more believable and made more sense Mm -hmm. than saying, it was too cold, so I'm going to go sit on a boat in the ocean. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Very weird. Lacey was planning to make some sort of French toast dish to take with them later that night to a Christmas Eve event at her parents' house. So Scott is out doing his own thing, apparently. Lacey's still trying to prepare for this party that they're going to. And around 10.30 a.m., a neighbor of the Petersons found their dog, Mackenzie, so Scott and Lacey's dog, Mackenzie, just wandering outside by itself and she just put the dog back into their backyard and the neighbor said that it had a collar and a leash attached to it yeah so the leash is just like trailing behind it as it walks around yeah so that's obviously not something that happens pretty suspect if you see a dog walking around a yard with the collar and a leash on you might think hmm they probably It probably got away from its owner. Yeah, exactly. Scott returned in the afternoon around 4.45-ish. So this is fucking all day long. Hours fucking later. Hours. Yeah. Because he left at 9.30, gets home at 4.45. Yeah. And he, like, did stop at his work warehouse because that's where his boat was. And... He was on his work computer for a while, did send some emails, and then, but the Berkeley Marina that he went to with his boat was an hour and a half away from his house. Yeah, that's a jaunt. It it doesn't, it because this is Christmas Eve. On a normal day, I would question why you're driving an hour and a half to use your new boat. Mm-hmm. But on Christmas Eve, when you know that you have plans, probably around five-ish or six-ish. Yeah. Because it's December. It gets dark at 4.30, 5 o'clock. Yeah. And you're having Christmas dinner. You're definitely going to be needing to be somewhere around five. Yeah. And I, I guess I'm wondering, like, I understand people... Just because it's Christmas Eve, don't have to just sit at home all day. Right. But it's a weird day to do something like that. It's a weird day. When your pregnant wa- wife yes. is at home making food. I mean, 
yeah, it's a it's a weird day, especially because on the the prosecutors podcast they talk about how Lacey's pregnancy wasn't smooth sailing the whole time. Like mm-hmm. she had had some issues, and she's pretty far along. So she's she's big, she's uncomfortable, right. and he just leaves her. Like she's at yeah. the point where early labor isn't necessarily out of the question. Mm-hmm. And he's driving so far away. Yeah. What if something happened? What if something happened? She's alone. And he's not even, like, an avid fisherman. Yeah. It's not like he has a history or... Like, this isn't their typical dynamic. This is not typical. Especially because in nowhere in any of my research did I find that he told her that he had decided not to golf. Yeah. And had decided to go to the Berkeley Marina. Mm-hmm. So. It's just, I mean, the whole thing's weird. It's very suspect. Mm-hmm. But. When Scott got back, he saw that the house was empty. And he also found their dog in the backyard with the collar and leash still on. But Lacey's car was in the driveway. And Scott assumed that Lacey's mom Sharon had picked her up yeah I mean that's not like too weird not 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 on this occasion no like it's Christmas Eve yeah um so he decided to take a shower which is not weird no he was out all day but then he decided to wash his clothes yeah that's why are we not just tossing them in the basket with the rest of them yeah um, that is a red flag mm-hmm. for him to, especially because it didn't say that he did a full load of laundry. Mm-hmm. It said he put hit those clothes he was wearing in the washer and, and washed them. I did read that it was typical of him when he would get home from work to toss his clothes in the washer because dealing with fertilizer, he would have chemicals on him. Mm-hmm. So when he would get home and... Instead of spreading chemicals around, he would put them in the washer and just wash them. But he was... He wasn't at work. He wasn't... He stopped by work. He stopped by work and sent some emails. He didn't deal with any, like, work things. Right. So his clothes were probably just wet. Yeah. And he could have just tossed them in the washer. It didn't need to run it. But whatever. Weird. Muscle memory, I guess, could have kicked in. Yeah, I don't know. We don't know here. Who knows? By 5.15 p.m., when Lacey still hadn't returned home or called, Scott called her mom, Sharon. I mean, the whole thing is weird to me, but, I mean, obviously. I Yeah. And her mom was like, I haven't seen her. I haven't heard from her. And at about 5.45 p.m., so 30 minutes after, Scott called Lacey's mom, Lacey's stepfather, Ron Gransky, then called the police. Yeah. I feel like there's not a lot about, like, the panic building up to the moment. Mm-hmm. It, it seems to be very quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my thing is, is if Keegan came home from wherever he was at and saw my car and didn't see me... He wouldn't think, oh, someone picked her up. Yeah. He would instantly. I mean, that's just how we are. I mean, other couples don't, I mean, obviously aren't like that. 
But he would at least text me and be like, hey, where are you at? Yeah. I thought you would be home when I got here. Yeah. That's that's exactly. I think I most mean, people who live together yeah. would do. Yeah. I mean, like the other day, I don't remember even what day it was. Thursday, maybe. I got Dakota usually gets home between 4.30 and 5, mm-hmm. just depending. And it was like 5.10. And he wasn't home, so I texted him, and I was like, hey, did you stop somewhere on your way home from work? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it's 510, like, usually you're home before now. Right. I just want to make sure, yeah. like, nothing's off. Yeah. Are you broke down? Yeah. Are you going to be late? Right. Should I wait a little bit to start dinner? Exactly. There are a myriad of reasons. Yeah. That And, and it's so simple to just send a text, hey. And I know this is 2002. I don't know if texting was prevalent or whatever. I mean, whatever way of communication. You could just obviously just, like, give her a call. Right. Especially because he'd called her multiple times throughout the day. Yeah. And she didn't answer. Right. So, wouldn't you... He should have been more alarmed, I think. Agreed. So, at this point is when the search for Lacey begins. So... Later, so she's reported missing at 545 and then sometime later in the night, I don't, I don't know exactly what time, but the police arrive at the Peterson home and Scott consents to a search of the home. At this point, they weren't searching the home. They were just kind of looking around Um, but they find Lacey's purse with her keys, wallet, and sunglasses in the purse in a closet in the house. That okay. I think is weird that her purse is in a closet. Very weird. So, obviously, doesn't appear like she just left to go somewhere. Her yeah. car's there. Her whole purse. She's She has nothing on her. And then... That's really the only thing they found on that first cursory search of the house. And then later that evening, they they questioned Scott. I don't know if he was asked to take a polygraph at this point, mm-hmm. but he never takes a polygraph at any point. Um, we've talked about this at length before. I do not see a problem with saying no to a polygraph because if you have an attorney and you consent consult them about that they're going to tell you not to no matter what the circumstances are they are always going to tell you not to take a polygraph so i i don't ever find that as a as like a sign of guilt yeah i mean and i i see it both ways like if one of my children went missing and keegan refused to take a polygraph i'd be like what in the fuck do you mean you won't take a polygraph yeah, it's that double-edged sword. I think yeah. everybody will kind of have that first reaction. Um, but I I've specifically told Dakota, like, hey, if I ever go missing or end up being killed or whatever, you're going to be the first suspect, obviously, because mm-hmm. it's always the husband or boyfriend. Yep. That's just how it is. And I'm like... You're going to be the first suspect, so immediately get a lawyer. Do not take a polygraph. Don't say anything. Let your lawyer say everything. Yeah. Don't answer any questions. 
don't take a polygraph because they will use all of it against you. Yeah. So to any investigator who might investigate my eventual murder, I did tell him not to do the polygraph and not to answer questions. (laughs) Not saying it wasn't him. Not saying he didn't do it. I'm just saying. That was my advice as a law school dropout. So there was a massive search the next day for Lacey. So Christmas Day, massive search. There were police and firefighters with the combination of police and firefighters. Their equipment included helicopters, horseback, bicycles, canine units, water rescue units, and this was there was a total of 30 officers involved with these like formal search efforts and Lacey's friends and family along with volunteers from the community also participated in the search they posted and handed out flyers they had set up a headquarters for the volunteers at the Red Lion Hotel mm-hmm. and more than 1500 people signed up to help this is a proper fucking search proper search that's how it needs to be done every single time yeah that is so many people like that's so many people yeah 1500 modesto they were fucking on it yeah there was an initial reward of twenty five thousand dollars for information um about lacy and it would be raised the first time to 250k and then finally to $500,000 for information. Damn, dude. On Lacey. That's a large reward. Damn. What was the reward for Bryce Laspisa? Is it like 10000 It's like 20000 20000 Which is still a lot of money. That's, I mean, a, that's a lot of money. Not yeah. 500000 though. No. <laughs> I remembered thinking that Bryce Laspisa's reward was a little lower than I anticipated. Yeah, I'm assuming there just weren't a lot of people to donate to it. Yeah. Which is fucking sad. It is sad. The discovery of Lacey and Connor. So all the searches, they started the very next day, December 25th. Well, obviously those searches go cold. They don't find any trace of Lacey until April 13th. 2003, a couple was out walking their dog and found the decomposing body of a late-term male fetus in a marshy area of the San Francisco Bay. They were right around Richmond's Point, Isabel. Okay. Here is another example where we have too many names to Mm -hmm. describe one location. It's called Richmond's Point, Isabel... Regional Shoreline Park. Unnecessary. What? What is... Who is naming these places? (laughs) Uh, This is just north of Berkeley. The umbilical cord was still attached to his body, and it looked like it had been torn to separate it from the mother, Mm -hmm. uh, not clamped or cut. So one day later, another passerby discovered the body of a recently pregnant woman in beige pants and a maternity bra 
on the shoreline about one mile from where the baby had been found the day prior. The woman had been decapitated and her limbs were missing, including most of her legs. The body was so decomposed that it was barely recognized as a human. God. That's so, so terrible. Um, On April 18th, 2003, DNA results verified that they were indeed the bodies of Lacey Peterson and her unborn son, Connor. So... The autopsies were conducted by Dr. Brian Peterson, no relation, and according to his findings, Connor's skin was not really decomposed at all, especially if you're thinking it had been there from December to April. Yeah. So he his skin was not really decomposed, although the right side of his body was mutilated. I'm guessing this is predatory. Probably. Fish and what have you. The placenta was not found with the body. Uh, Lacey's cervix was still intact. She had suffered two broken ribs, but it could not be determined if those occurred before or after her death. And her upper torso had been emptied of internal organs except for her uterus. So... That's weird. She also didn't have a head or any limbs. Yeah. That's so weird. I don't think her head has ever actually been found. That's so intense, dude. So intense. Ugh. The worst. Okay, so now we're to Scott's timeline. Um, so we've got December 23rd, and then the 24th is a fucking shit show. Okay, so December 23rd. We have 5.45 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Scott said he and Lacey went to Salon Salon where Lacey's sister Amy worked and um, Amy gave him a haircut. Amy confirmed this to be true and added that she showed Lacey how to fun flip her hair with a straightener. Amy testified that Scott invited her over for pizza that night, but she already had plans Amy said Scott mentioned plans to golf in the morning and offered to pick up a gift basket for their papa at a store called Vela Farms. Mm -hmm. And Amy also told police that Lacey was wearing tan pants and a black blouse with small flowers. Scott said they left the salon and picked up Mountain Mike's Pizza on the way home. Once home, they ate the pizza and watched Monday Night Football. 8.30 p.m., Lacey spoke with her mom, Sharon, on the phone to confirm their Christmas Eve dinner plans at Sharon's house the next day. So, from 8.30 to 10.30, Scott said that after Lacey talked to Sharon, they finished watching football and then watched the movie The Rookie. And Scott said they went to bed around 10.30 and that Lacey was wearing his blue pajama bottoms to bed. Okay. Um, yeah. That was the whole timeline for the 23rd. So not much happening there. Right. December 24th, we have 7 a.m. to 8.39 a.m. Scott estimated that Lacey woke up at about 7 o'clock. She got dressed 
and placed the blue pajama pants that she wore to bed that night in the hamper. That is where they were found during a December 26th search of the house. So that lines up. Yeah. Scott said she ate right when she got up to avoid feeling sick, and Lacey's mom confirmed this to be true as well. Okay, that's not... Relevant, really? Relevant, really? I eat immediately when I get up, too. I mean... Usually. Yeah, that's very detailed to note that the thing about this timeline is like first of all i got this off of a website called scottsappeals.org so this timeline is scott's account of things yeah and the website will be linked but really i got it from the prosecutor's podcast website they linked this timeline Mm -hmm. So this is the one that they use for their, they do like a five part series on this case specifically. Yeah. And um, one thing that they talk about a lot going through this timeline is that Scott made sure to add in these weird details yeah, that are not relevant. If I mean, and now we know that we can't put ourselves in anyone's shoes, but if Keegan went missing... I would be like, I mean, we watched TV last night, we went to bed, we woke up, we ate breakfast, like everything was normal. Yeah. I wouldn't be like, he wore blue boxers to bed and then he took them off and put them in the hamper the next morning. Yeah. And then, um, this is what we ate for breakfast. Yeah. Why would I think the police want to know what, what he ate for breakfast? Yeah, exactly. They don't care. Because guess what? It's probably in the cabinet. Yeah. It it doesn't matter what what you ate. It yeah. doesn't matter that when she got up, she immediately ate breakfast every day because she had been feeling sick if she didn't. Yeah. That's I, not really relevant to her disappearance. And also, like, I know this isn't, like, bad on anyone, but if someone was like, what pajama pants did your husband wear to bed last night? I'd be like, I have no fucking clue. Why would yeah. I pay attention to that? Yeah. Dakota definitely wouldn't be able to say... What I wore to bed last night. I mean, what I'm wearing now is what I slept in. But he he wouldn't. Like, no. On a normal day, when... Because on the weekends, I don't always change immediately. I'll wear my pajamas until, right. like, noon. Mm-hmm. But on, like, a weekday, when I get up in the morning and immediately change, he ha- not- would have no clue what I slept in. No. Weird. It's just weird. So, back to the breakfast thing. Scott said Lacey had already eaten cereal by the time he woke up around 8 or 8.30. She ate a piece of toast while he ate cereal. Scott said the cereal was cinnamon puffs, cinnamon puffins from Trader Joe's, and receipts show Lacey had purchased cereal the day before. This is not relevant. Very specific. Very specific. That's like a word vomit thing to me. Yeah. It sounds like, to me, it sounds like someone who is trying to pile on a lot of detail as, like, a distraction. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it it would make sense if, like, the police are questioning him and they say, okay, so what happened? Well, she, she, I think she got up around this time. She usually ate as soon as she got up. I got up at this time. And 
I ate. And they say, well, what did you eat? I, oh, I had cereal. What did she have? Well, I think she had cereal first and then she had toast. Mm-hmm. That seems like you would naturally just say that. Yeah. I don't think you would say, well, I was eating cereal. She had already eaten cereal. Then she was eating toast. And by the way, the cereal we had was cinnamon puffins that she had bought at Trader Joe's the day before. Here's the receipt. That is no. That is not relevant Mm-mm. to the situation in the least. So from 8.40 to 8.45. Now this section could be a little, I don't, it, a wishy-washy, wavery. There are a lot of options here and it doesn't seem like a five minute window would do that, but it does. So at 8.40, Lacey's logged on to the computer in the spare bedroom while Scott was in the shower. So it's like on the Yahoo site and, um, she checked the weather. Fine. And then she went on to a couple of shopping sites. One where she looked at a red scarf from Gap. And the other where she looked at a sunflower umbrella stand. And then, so, this timeline says that she logged off at 845. However, on the prosecutor's podcast, they talk about she gets, she logs on at 840, checks the weather, looks at the scarf, looks at the umbrella stand, and then three minutes after that, Scott's email is accessed from this computer. So in the span of five minutes, that's a lot of things. There's a lot of activities happening. And while Scott is supposedly supposed to be in the shower. Mm-hmm. So It seems like not enough minutes for her to have logged on, checked the weather, checked these two sites, and him to get out of the shower, dry off, Mm -hmm. put clothes on, go into the spare bedroom, log on, and check his own email. Mm -hmm. So one theory is that she checked his email. Yeah. And potentially could have found something in that email. Or that he had logged on to the computer as Lacey, looked at things that she would have looked at, Mm -hmm. and then checked his own email. Yeah. I can see that. I can see both. And one of the reasons why they point to maybe it being Scott who has done these things is because it's December, and the red scarf makes sense because it's December, it's cold. Right. However... A sunflower umbrella stand is patio furniture. Are you really shopping for patio furniture in December? Yeah. And, you know, so... I mean... I know this is California. Maybe. And I, a lot of people do off-season shopping because it's cheaper. But I'll yeah. tell you right now, I always think about doing that and never do. I always think in January, I'm going to buy a swimsuit now because... Right. They're not going to be all sold out. I'm going to get the one that I want, and it's probably going to be cheaper. Yeah. Do I do that? No. That's true. Never. I mean, I also do sh- look at things on shopping sites that I'll probably never buy. Yes, that's true. So, I mean, of course, this is speculation. Of course, none of it can be proven. Mm-hmm. But that is something that they point to. So now we are at 846. 
to 947. As Scott got dressed, Lacey told him about her plans for the day. She was going to walk the dog, go to the store, and make gingerbread. She needed to buy bread for the French toast they were going to serve at their Christmas brunch. And when recalling the conversation, Scott called it Cordon Bleu French toast to one person and Grand Marnier Marnier French toast to another. Why, why are we not just saying French toast? Yeah. Um, Scott also mentioned that Lacey had to marinate the French toast. So I'm guessing it's like a casserole type of thing. It could be. Once again, way too detailed. Yeah. No one pays that much attention to one's cooking. Dakota definitely doesn't pay that much attention to no. what I'm cooking. No. Or my the steps that I need to take to cook it. No. So. The recipe was on the kitchen counter, and it was actually called creme brulee French toast. Which makes sense because that's the flavor of the French toast. Right. The recipe called for Grand Marnier, and the bread had to be marinated anywhere from 8 to 24 hours. Yeah, so this is definitely a casserole type of thing. Scott said he loaded three patio umbrellas from the back yard into the bed of his truck. He was going to store them at his warehouse. Once again, that's weird to be doing on Christmas Eve. Yeah. I don't understand that. Because um, they weren't going to be doing any activities in the backyard. Right. You know. That seems like if it hadn't already been done, it probably could have waited until after Christmas. Yeah. Like the 20... That sounds like a December 26th activity. Yeah. I I, I don't know. Um, Their neighbor, Kristen Dimpwolf, yeah. walked by while Scott was loading the umbrellas. She said Scott was smiling and said good morning to her. Oh. It is noted later that the umbrellas were still in Scott's truck when he got home from the arena. Yeah. So, he loaded the umbrellas in his truck. He went to his warehouse where he was he was going to store them. Mm-hmm. Loaded his boat. Did not unload the umbrellas. Drove an hour and a half to Berkeley with the umbrellas. Did his boat thing. Went back to his warehouse to drop off the boat, didn't unload the umbrellas still, and then went home. Weird. So he, if he forgot them on the first time, like he was so hurried to get his boat loaded, even though he lingered at his warehouse for a while. Well, and clearly dropping off these umbrellas was important enough to him to do it on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Very weird. And yet, in the two times in the day that he was at the warehouse... He never unloaded them, Mm -hmm. even though he was working in the back of his truck because he had to hitch and unhitch the boat trailer. Yeah. So it's not like he just didn't see them. Okay. So Scott then went back into the house and filled up the mop bucket for Lacey so she could mop the floor, which two reasons why this is weird to me. One being that the housekeeper was just there the day before, and I mean, Lacey's pregnant and has been having problems, so why is she worried about mopping? Yeah. And the event is not being held at their house. I think the next day they were having Christmas brunch at their house. I think. Was she done cooking, though? No. She hadn't... When he fill, So he fills up the bucket uh-huh. before he leaves. Right. And 
yet is she she's going to walk the dog. She's going to make gingerbread. She's got to go to the store to buy ingredients so she can get her French toast marinating. You would think she would just wait until the end of the day. And or mop right like if they're having Christmas brunch, mop before people get there. Right. Or what the fuck is Scott doing? Lacey is eight months pregnant and she's doing all these tasks. She's got to walk the dog. She's got to go to the store. She has to cook. She has to marinate this shit. She's got to mop the floor. And he's going fucking fishing. Yeah. An hour and a half away. What a dick. With some umbrellas. Can't he go to the store and get the shit she needs? Can't he mop the floor? Yeah. Once again, the dynamic, whether any of this is true or not. Right. Just doesn't make sense to me. The only explanation for this is that Scott is a horrible fucking husband. Right. What a a dick. Okay, so now we've made it to 9.48 a.m. Scott told Detective Burkini that he and Lacey were first watching the Today Show and then had Martha Stewart on. Apparently, Lacey loved Martha Stewart. Um, Now that Martha Stewart is good pals with my man Snoop. Of course. I'm much more amenable to watching Martha. Yeah. She got mad street cred. Um, either way. Scott remembered seeing something on Martha Stewart about meringue and cookies. Shut the fuck up, dude. Just stop. Uh, cookies and meringue were in fact mentioned on Martha Stewart on December 24th during the episode that would have been on at 9.48 a.m. Uh, however, it was only mentioned briefly on the 24th. It was talked about in much more detail and for longer on the Martha Stewart episode that aired on the 23rd. So one thing that the prosecutor's podcast likes to point has pointed out is that what makes a good lie? A good lie is one that's 99% truth. Right. With 1% lie. So maybe he in fact remembered seeing a whole episode about meringue on the 23rd. Mm-hmm. But it makes bet more sense for him to say that they watched it on the 24th. Yeah. Because that, I don't know. He's, why would, I guess why would he sit, I mean, wh- when did this, I don't know, I to me that doesn't fit in. Yeah. We're moving up, we're, we're showering, we're on the computer, we're mopping, we're, we're loading, loading umbrellas. umbrellas. When the fuck did you guys sit down and watch Martha Stewart? Yeah. I don't know. And it's on. I mean, after, I know it's on here. After all those other events. It just maybe. I don't know. Weird. It seems weird. Maybe it's something they did every morning. I don't know. You're telling me that they watch Monday night football for hours and then watch a sports related movie right after. And then the next day he watches Martha Stewart with his wife. Absolutely no, he does yeah. not. I, I feel like he specifically did not watch Martha Stewart with Lacey. Mm-mm. She loved Martha Stewart. Obviously, she's clearly set up an entire day of cooking, so it's clearly something she likes. Yeah. You know, she's making this really fancy French toast dish. Mm-hmm. She's making gingerbread. That's a pretty in involved yeah. item to make. You're right. So she clearly loves cooking. He just doesn't seem like he would be around long enough for any of that information to stick or any of it to even be something he should remember. Right. And honestly, if he, he, it may have been something he picked up in passing. 
or maybe, you know, whatever. And he thought that if he said it, it would make him sound like a loving husband who watches Martha Stewart with his wife. Right. Well, you just, you're making her mop for an entire day while you go out and fuck around. So that kind of sinks that shit, my boy. 9.49 to 10.30. Scott said he left out of the side French doors for work while Lacey was mopping. Scott gave various estimates for when he left the house, all falling between 9.30 and 10.30. He made the nine-minute drive to his warehouse, checking the voicemail on the cell phone at 10.08 a.m., and Scott parked at his office and entered through the pedestrian door. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that means the door that the general public would enter. Yeah. A non-employee entrance. Um, so 10.30 to 10.56 a.m., Scott told police that he checked his email. He sent an email to his boss, who had left him a voicemail earlier in the day. Computer forensics would show Scott was continuously logged on his work computer for 26 minutes from 10.30 to 10.56. So he looked at his email, he sent an email, and then he looked up how to assemble a woodworking tool, a mortiser saw, I believe is a saw, that he had received a couple of days prior to this. I think it said that he received the mortiser on December 20th. So he looked up how to assemble it. Okay. 1057 to 11:17. So there's approximately 20 minutes from when Scott logged off the computer to when he left the warehouse. Scott said during this time he cleaned up the office a bit and began assembling the mortiser. He opened the roll-up door to the warehouse and unloaded some tools from the toolbox in the bat in the bed of his truck. Okay, so you were obviously in the back of your truck getting tools. Why didn't you see the umbrellas and also unload those? Absolutely. While doing so, he cut his knuckle on the toolbox and he then opened the driver's side of his driver's side door of his truck to get a napkin and thought that maybe his blood would be found there. Yes. And he made multiple statements to, not to police, but to, like, Lacey's family. Oh, if they check for blood, they're going to find my blood on the door of my truck. I cut my hand and had to open my truck door. They're going to find my blood there. Why would he say that? Who cares if your blood is on your own truck? Yeah, if they bring it up, be like, oh, yeah, I cut my hand. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, that's my fucking truck. Yeah. There's probably my blood on it. (laughs) At some point, yeah. There's My blood is definitely in my car for various reasons, whatever. For sure. I cut myself all the fucking time. (laughs) My blood is everywhere. Everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) To support Scott's statements, um, evidence did show that Scott had just received the saw on December 20th and the saw was found assembled on a trailer in Scott's warehouse. Forensic testing also showed one drop of Scott's blood on his car door. Great. Awesome. They would have found that out on their own, but thank you for the heads up. Yeah. Such an odd thing to feel like you need to point out. Yeah. 
So uh, from 11.18 to 12.54 p.m., Scott left the warehouse around 11.18 to drive to the Berkeley Marina. He thought it took him about an hour and a half to get there. Um, And since he was pulling the trailer with his boat on it and he had to drive a little slower, maybe longer. The Yahoo Maps show that the trip is an hour and 36 minutes to the Berkeley Marina. Mm Mm-hmm. So that is so goddamn far to travel on Christmas Eve when you have plans. I know we've said it. I just don't understand. I don't ever want to travel that far on a fucking sunny Saturday, let alone Christmas Eve. Yeah, that seems so silly. Scott purchased a boat launch ticket at 1254 at the Berkeley Marina. He gave this receipt to the police on the evening of December 24th when they asked him if he had any proof he'd been at the marina. Okay, that seems normal. Makes sense. So 12.55 to 2.11 p.m. Scott then launched his boat. He told police he motored north for probably two miles and that he was near a little island that had a bunch of trash on it. He saw a big sign that said, no landing. And there were some broken piers. He had assumed it would be a decent shallow area. um, And he had forgotten some new lures he'd purchased from Big Five and his truck. So he used some freshwater jigs from his tackle box. He trolled a bit and then headed back to the marina because he was getting wet. Shocker that you're getting wet on a boat. Yeah. Scott estimated being at the bay for about 90 minutes. From the time Scott bought the ticket to when his cell phone records show him leaving this area is about 78 minutes. Right. So he, I, reports, people who were there at the marina and saw him said that he was struggling a bit Mm -hmm. to get the boat into the water off the trailer. Hmm. So if he was there from the time he bought his ticket to the time he was leaving... For 78 minutes and he struggled to get his boat in the water and to get it out of the water that's cutting time he was probably only out there fishing for 50 minutes yeah that's a lot of hassle yeah people don't just drop boats to go fish for an hour no no that's you drop your boat early, the, early in the morning, early in the morning. When my dad would go fishing, like really, really fishing. It was like dawn. Yeah. He would wake up before the. he would be on the lake or river before the sun was up mm-hmm. on the river, completely set up, already fishing. Yeah. And this isn't like we're driving to a city lake that's five minutes outside of city limits and just fishing from the shore. Yeah. This is a lot of hassle to fish for an hour. Yeah. His round trip is more than three hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That doesn't make any fucking sense. It's pretty fishy. He's not at a freshwater marina. He's in the bay. This Mm -hmm. is saltwater fish. He said he was fishing for sturgeon, mm-hmm. and he's using freshwater jigs. Because he forgot. Because he forgot 
new lures that he had just bought. He's doing a lot of forgetting. Yeah. And he's clearly, like, these rookie-ass mistakes that no avid fisherman would make. Mm -hmm. If you are a fisherman who loves fishing enough that you decide you need to drive an hour and a half away on Christmas Eve to fish, if you're that level of fisherman, you don't use the wrong tackle. Right. You don't go at the wrong time of day. Like, you know when what type of time of day is the perfect time of day to fish for what you are fishing for. Right. If you are a fisherman. Yeah. And, and again, it's not some little, I don't know what boats are fucking called, but this isn't a little one man, like, tiny boat, is it? It's a, it's not, um, it's not just like a little aluminum boat, but it is smaller. It's not. What are they, like, most of, like, the popular brand is a what, like, tracker? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. It's not as big as, like, a bass boat. Okay. It's not like a fiberglass bass boat. It is an aluminum boat, but it's it's bigger than what you would, you know, launch in a little pond or whatever. But it's an aluminum boat with a motor. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it actually might have been a tracker. There's a there's a picture of it online. Mm-hmm. So we we, we can, can post it. it and whatever. Which doesn't but- matter. I don't know. To me, it just seems, it just seems like a huge fucking waste of time. Yeah. And at this point, he had owned this boat for like two weeks. And I understand, like, you hear a lot about husbands trying to get out of the house and do their own thing, you know, especially like older couples, they've, they have their own hobbies. Mm -hmm. Some husbands may be gone all day, three or four days a week golfing or fishing. Yeah. But this to me doesn't seem like something that typically happened. Um, And they're a new couple with like a baby on the way. Yeah. I think if this was a normal day and it wasn't Christmas Eve, this would not raise any. Absolutely not. Not when your, your pregnant wife is at home doing all of this shit. Yeah. Um, Not to say that she's incapable of doing so, but. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I mean, of course, she is fully capable of doing all of this stuff, but she has had some issues, and Mm -hmm. it's not that she needs him there to do these things, but he probably shouldn't go too far from her in case she needs him to take her to the hospital. Yeah, it would have made more sense for him to just go to their local golf course and golf. Yeah, I think the golf course was like 10 or 15 minutes from their house. Yeah. And... Um, at trial, the the prosecution actually shows a map of all kinds of lakes that he could have taken the boat to that are within a 20-minute drive of his house. Yeah, because his work wasn't that far away from their house. Nine minutes. Yeah. Yeah, so it would have made sense if he would have went to one of the... There were like 12... Or something like that. That's crazy. 12 other locations he could have put this boat in and trolled around for an hour and went home and mm-hmm. only been gone for an hour and a half. Damn. Not have had to deal with traffic, not been pushing it on time. You know, it's just the decisions do not make fucking sense. No, they don't. Whatever. Okay. Now we're getting to 
probably the most interesting chunk of this. Mm-hmm. And it's more interesting after I listened to the, the prosecutor's podcast and their thoughts on this. So, from 2.12 to 3.25 p.m., Scott said when he left the marina, he called Lacey at home and on her cell phone. He said he also called his friend Greg Reed and his own parents on the way home. So he was making a fuck ton of calls. Yeah. Uh, He said he got stuck in some traffic. This is California. I hear their traffic is fucked. Um, So confirming his statements, Scott, so he left a message on the home answering machine and a voicemail on her cell phone. And Scott's message that he left on her voicemail was obviously retrieved by the detective. And this is what it says. Mm-hmm. Hey, beautiful. I just left you a message at home. It's 2.15. I'm leaving Berkeley. I won't be able to go to Vela Farms to get the basket for Papa. I was hoping you would get this message and go on out there. I'll see you in a bit, sweetie. Love you. Bye. Um, Scott's cell phone records confirm all of the calls. So, as we've already detailed, Lacey has a very full day. Mm-hmm. And now, because he has driven so far away and fucked around for so long, the one task that he had to do that day... He can't do it. He can't do it. And not only can he not do it, but he's asking Lacey to go ahead and do it on top of all the other shit she's already doing. Mm-hmm. And he's not even saying sorry. No. I mean, I guess I don't understand why he can't do it. You're already out. Like, wherever it is, just go and get it. Yeah. I I don't know why. Because if you're going to make... If it was, like, a time thing... Yeah. Just show up late. Just show up late. Because if Lacey now has to do this, she's probably going to be late. Yeah. That's just my guess. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. What a dick. I would be fucking pissed. If I was already doing a laundry list of shit Mm -hmm. that I had to get done before Christmas dinner and I was eight months pregnant and the one thing that I had tasked my husband with after he's been out gallivanting all goddamn Mm -hmm. day, he then can't do because he's going to be late. I would be pissed. Yeah. I'd be like, you know what? You're uninvited. You don't get to come to Christmas dinner. Yeah. You goddamn idiot. You knew that you... Yeah, you had one job. You had one job and you knew you had to do it. Pick it up before you go and do the rest of your shit. Yeah. Like, how inconsiderate could you possibly be? One thing that was pointed out on the the prosecutor's (laughs) podcast... I'm going to talk about them this whole thing because I... List their series on this case is, uh, is amazing. But when they listen... They actually play the recording of this voicemail i may try and find it and see if we can put it in if that would be possible i've seen a lot of posts about playing recordings and i think it goes deeper than just finding audio and playing it and i don't know why like legally or technically legally oh well i'm pretty sure that we would be able to use this because it it's public record okay his case is a public record, and so is this. Um, but either way, we read the text of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But they talk about how stilted and scripted this voicemail sounds when he's, like, in his voice, the way he delivers it. 
and they point out that he is location marking. Mm-hmm. He's time stamping. And he's not disclosing when he's going to be home. Right. He's so leaving that open. He's leaving that open. So he is make sure right at the very beginning in the first line of this voicemail, he says what time it is. It's 2.15. Mm-hmm. And he says where he is. He's leaving Berkeley. Even though nothing before this indicates that she even knows he went there. Right. So as far as any research shows, she thinks he's golfing nine minutes away from their house. Mm-hmm. He's not explaining, I decided not to golf, it's too cold, so I decided to take the new boat out. He didn't explain that. Didn't explain that it would take over an hour and a half to get home. Didn't give a ballpark estimate of when he thought he might be home. Right. And she also said that him not going to get the fruit basket, but then asking her to go get it, shows that he is giving her a task so she can't possibly be be dead at this point because he's tasking her with something. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's how they broke down this message. I thought it was really interesting. I did notice, though, when I listened to it, the 215. Now, the only thing I have to say about him time stamping it is some people do that, though. Especially, I would say, especially more back then and even now, older people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've received voicemails, like, which, I mean, honestly, a lot of people don't leave voicemails anymore. Yeah. Because... We have cell phones. We'll see the missed call and we'll see when it came in. Mm-hmm. But I'll get like voicemails at work and they'll say, this is attorney so-and-so. It is, you know, 2.15 on Friday, March 18th. Um, I'm just giving you a call back. Sorry, I missed your call earlier. Yeah. So that's not too weird to me, but it is weird in this situation. Yeah. I think in a business sense, especially coming from an attorney, it makes more sense. Right. They qualify their time basically every day for billing purposes. So that's kind of how their brain just conditions itself to think. Well, and I mean, I've even gotten voicemails from people outside of work that say what time it is. Again, I think it's a generational thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I don't, I don't know that I've ever gotten. I think like my dad has left me a voicemail like that before. Yeah. Probably because he, you know, he still has a flip phone. Yeah. And I can see exactly when he called me, you know, and left the voicemail. Yeah. That's, so that I don't was, know. That was my thought. I mean, we know that he did this, but I, that wouldn't be like the fucking nail, the nail in the, in the Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he said what time it was? Nope. Lies. Lies Manelli. So we are at 4.13 to 4.23 p.m. Scott arrived back at the warehouse around 4.15. He said he unhooked the boat and estimated spending no more than five minutes in the office, and he thinks this is when he sees a fax regarding an incoming shipment. He tells the police he remembers seeing the facts because he was disappointed that the shipment was arriving when it was, and Scott then headed home. He's very concerned about work on Christmas Eve. Yeah. 
The incoming fax was time-stamped 11.28 Pacific Standard Time. The fax came after Scott left for the marina. Yeah. See, I feel like the fax situation, I don't think that is relevant at all. At all. Don't don't care about that. 4.24 to 5.17 p.m. Scott estimated he arrived at home between 4.30 and 4.45, which would make sense since he was leaving the marina at 2.15, and it took about an hour and a half to get from Berkeley to his house with, and then there was some traffic, so 4.30 to 4.45 would kind of account for that. He entered the house through the side gate. He found their dog, Mackenzie, with the leash still on. He removed the leash and put it on the patio table. He then went into the house, undressed, put his clothes in the washer, and started it. This was apparently normal for him because of the chemicals that he worked with doing his job. Here, as we said earlier, seems a little unnecessary, but could just be muscle memory. Yeah. If it's just something that you are habitually doing. But he wasn't working at work. He checked yeah. his email and a fax. Yes, exactly. That's exactly. But, you know, giving him a little benefit of the doubt, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, Scott said he showered and then got dressed. He went back into the kitchen and listened to the phone messages. I'm guessing on the answering, the home answering machine. Right. He listened to the message he left for Lacey when he was leaving the marina. And then he listened to a message left by Ron, Lacey's stepfather. Ron, in the voicemail, Ron had asked if Scott and Lacey would bring whipped cream when they come over for dinner. This, Scott, that was odd because, as we said, him arriving to an empty home, he assumed that Sharon had come and picked Lacey up Mm -hmm. and that Lacey was at their house currently. So this prompted him to call Ron and Sharon's home, and this call was at about 5.17. So 5.18 p.m. At this point, the search for Lacey had began. Over the next half hour, Scott exchanged two more calls with Lacey's mom and her stepdad, Ron, and Scott began knocking on neighbors' doors, calling neighbors, calling friends, and he and headed to the park with their dog, Mackenzie. Maybe he thought she was in the park? Maybe. Let's see. Okay. Um, why would she be at the park without the dog? Maybe she fell down at the park? Was there playground equipment there? I don't know. Maybe she was swinging? Maybe she was on the merry-go-round? Could have been. Um, I mean, that's my first thought, is to go look at our city park. Of course. Um, for my missing spouse. Of course. Sharon told Scott that they would begin calling hospitals so he could check the park. And Ron called. I mean, she's not 12 years old. Yeah. Why would she flee to the park? Yeah. I mean, it would make more sense to check like the local Hobby Lobby. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's on her usual walking route. Maybe this is like a nice fucking park. Maybe it's a, the coolest park you've ever seen. Maybe there's a, a waterfall. Maybe Brad Pitt's there. Maybe. I don't know. Dakota's watching Fury downstairs. And, like, when I went down to get the Excedrin and the coffee, it was just Brad Pitt mid-taking his shirt off. And I was like, <laughs> oh, 
It's Brad Pitt. It's <laughs> like, that, God damn it. <laughs> that guy has a nice haircut. <laughs> okay, so um, Sharon told Scott they would call the hospital so he could check the park, and Ron called 911 at 547 to report Lacey missing. Okay, so that is the timeline from Scott's perspective. Yes. So please keep in mind, this is what Scott has laid out. Yes. There's so many weird, weird things in that timeline that I just don't understand. They just don't compute for me. No. The umbrellas. The fuck? What What are you doing with umbrellas? Yeah. I think, and obviously we will have a theories portion, but... I think the idea with the umbrellas is that for people who are proponents of Scott being guilty, that he loaded Lacey Mm -hmm. into the bed of his truck and covered her with the umbrellas. Yeah. So you couldn't see that, see her body. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, um, those kind of umbrellas are pretty fucking big. They're huge. But also why not just leave the umbrellas at the warehouse after you've already disposed of the body? Like, because he's an idiot. That's why. Okay. So the next section, it just, another layer of wildness to the story is Amber Fry, the girlfriend. Of course there's a girlfriend. Of There's always a girlfriend. And he, Scott had had other affairs prior in mm-hmm. their marriage. Um... So, he was a little bit of a, Mm -hmm. you know, a get around. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So, the affair began when Scott met a woman named Sean Sibley. Now, he met her on October 24th of 2002... At a convention where he was there representing his company, Trade Corps. Mm-hmm. He told her he was single and looking. Fuck. Ugh. That's just gross. Mm-hmm. He joked with her that he put horny bastard on his name tag to help him meet women. First of all, what mi- women are you meeting with that name? You're not meeting any quality women, I'm going to tell you that. Mm-mm. Horny bastard. Ugh. Gross guys, the worst. However, Sean Sibley was actually engaged, and she said that she thought that he would be a good match for her friend Amber Fry. So she gave him Fry's contact information, and then he ended up calling Amber Fry on November 19th, 2002, and then he met her the next day, and they had like their first date. I have a real problem with. A woman giving a man her friend's phone number. I agree. Especially a man that she just met. I would maybe take his phone number and give it to her if she was interested. Right. That makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. If it was... Sorry, Sean, but that's not cool. That's that's not cool. Um, You didn't... She didn't know Scott at all. She Mm -mm. had just met him. And he had been hitting on her pretty hard. Mm Mm-hmm. He was sending her literally, like, really sexually explicit messages 
before she told him she was engaged. Like, what's your favorite sexual position? Like, you know what? I think you'd like my friend Amber. Yeah, like, that is n- no. not okay. Is no one talking about how that's not okay? You know, I've not heard anyone talk about how that's kind of crossing the line. That's crazy. That's crazy. Because this, clearly this guy is not a good dude. No. Regardless of if he's guilty of killing Lacey, he's not a good dude. He's out here trolling for chicks. Right. With a pregnant wife at home. Trash. Trash person. So from there, it was a real whirlwind kind of romance. Um, He, they seemed like they were immediately serious in their relationship. Yeah. And she, Amber Fry had a, has a daughter and he was kind of hopping into husband mode, dad mode, which is fucking weird. And he... He made them dinner multiple times. He went with them to pick out a Christmas tree. He decorated the Christmas tree with her and her daughter. He picked her daughter up from school one day. They met on November 19th. And these things are happening at the beginning of December. Less than a month. And she let this guy pick up her kid from school. I wouldn't have even let him meet my kid at that point. No, I... I I don't have words for that, really. Obviously, at this point, Amber Fry didn't realize he was married and had a pregnant wife. Yeah. So she's not, she's not in the wrong here. Well, nothing against her. No, 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 no. But I mean, like, I probably wouldn't have even let you pick up my child from school until a couple of years ago. Right. Yeah. You don't know people. You just don't know people. Yeah, you just don't know people. I mean, even knowing someone for a year, you don't know that person very well. Not enough to let them, first of all, pick your child up from school and put them in a vehicle with them. Without you being there as well. That's just unacceptable. No, I think other than obviously myself and Keegan and our parents and my siblings the only other person who has driven in a vehicle with my children is Tyler, Keegan's best friend. Yeah. I don't trust people. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. That the the thing the parts where he picked up the daughter from school really really got me. I thought that was so odd and so over the line. It's very, very fast. It's way too quick. Um, but whatever. He also went to Amber's work Christmas party with her. And there are pictures out there. Because this case was heavily publicized when mm-hmm. it was happening. The media was just... The 24-hour media cycle was still new. Right. But just flooded with photos of... Scott and Amber and then Lacey. So on the night that he went to Amber's work Christmas party, there's a picture of them together, like smiling and being all cutesy at this Christmas party. And then there's a picture of Lacey pregnant at another Christmas party alone. 
And they always, like, put those two, like, side by side. And it's really sad. That's fucking sad. There is nothing. I mean, no one likes a cheater. Right. But someone who has a pregnant wife at home, that is, like, just another level. Pregnant or with kids, obviously. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. is just pathetic. It really is. Just, listen, if you're thinking about cheating on your boyfriend or your wife or your husband... Just break up with them before you do it. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't make, there's no reason for you to continue to be with your partner if you are out here trying to hook up with other people. If you want to hook up with other people, that's fine. Just break up with the person. Yeah. Just, it's not, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be even worse if you cheat and they find out about it. Yeah. You know, Ugh, they were married. They were, and she was pregnant. Damn, this guy's a—he's trash. Yeah, he is. Uh, okay, so everything seems hunky dory with Scott and Amber until Sean Sibley, the matchmaker. She was talking with a friend of hers, another, some, a guy, and I guess they were talking about Scott, or maybe this was a mutual friend that Sean and Amber had, Mm -hmm. and he knew about Amber seeing Scott. Well, he said that he knew a guy named Scott Peterson, but he was married. Yeah. And so Sean was kind of like, uh, what? Yeah. So she confronts him and is like, yo, what's this I hear about you being married? And he has an emotional breakdown with her on the phone and is like, "Um, I was married. I lost my wife. This is the first holiday season I'm going to spend without her. Please let me be the one to tell Amber. So, Sean buys this hook, line, and sinker, of course. Because why wouldn't she? Why wouldn't she? Because why would you lie about that? So, of course, she believes him. Mm -hmm. And he is sobbing on the phone. So, she thinks, okay, well, he's this emotional, obviously. He's telling the truth. So, that was on... That was was on December 6th that she calls out Scott for being married. On December 7th... Is when Scott starts shopping for boats. Randomly. Is this like a midlife crisis situation? Yeah. And he's like 27. Um, So he's randomly shopping for boats. December 8th, he does a series of online searches for uh, maps of the San Francisco Bay. Maps of nautical charts and currents and velocity and seems like a weird time to get into boating yeah so all of these kinds of like very nautical whatever things for specifically the san francisco bay and then on december 9th is when he actually tells amber that he lied to her about having never been married and tells her the same thing he told sean that he had lost his wife And that it was going to be his first holiday season without her. And that 
he was going to be spending the holiday season in Paris with some friends to, you know, not think about his dead wife. All right. (laughs) Yeah. So he actually called Amber saying he was in Paris when really he was at the New Year's Eve candlelight vigil for Lacey in Modesto. Yeah, it's actually, like, it's not funny, but it is kind of funny. Paris? Yeah. Really? Really? You could have just said, like... Vegas. Yeah. Or just not. Or just said, I'm going to spend the holidays quietly by myself. Yeah. With my parents. Okay. Yeah, I'm in Paris. Yeah. I'm an idiot. What an idiot. We're at the arrest and conviction part. Yes. Of this episode. Yes. Peterson was arrested on April 18th, 2003, near La Joya. I think that's how you say it. Golf course. Um, Of course, he was on a golf course. Of course. He told police that he was meeting his father and brother for a game of golf. His naturally dark brown hair had been dyed blonde. And his Mercedes-Benz was overstuffed with miscellaneous items, including nearly $15,000 in cash, 12 Viagra tablets. He's 27, by the way. 27. Now, guys... No, no, we don't know what, what goes on with penises, but... No, I mean, we know there are troubles out there, but... You are 27. You do not need to take Viagra. Yeah. And if you You do, just need to talk to your doctor. You need to talk to your doctor. Yes. Um, survival gear. Camping equipment. Several changes of clothes. Four cell phones. Jesus Christ. His brother's driver's license in addition to his own. Mm-hmm. To go golfing with his, um, with his dad. Yeah. That's typically what I take any day of the week is all of those things. I just keep that shit with me. Yeah. Viagra and camping gear. Tons of cash. And a ton of cash. And I typically have someone else's driver's license as well. And I usually I dye my hair on occasion. Yes. When I was younger, that actually would have been legitimately true. Scott's dad explained that he used his brother's license the day before to get a San Diego resident discount at the golf course and that Peterson had been living out of his car because of the media attention. Bro, if you have family around, why would you be living out of your car, out of your Mercedes? Why would you have $15,000 in cash? Just because you're getting media attention doesn't mean you can't use a fucking debit card. So there's that. Um, But police suspected these items were an indication that Peterson planned to flee to Mexico, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is an idea prosecutors would later concur with. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, people, if you're dyeing your hair from dark brown to blonde and you're found... With survival gear and camping gear and licenses that aren't yours with tons of cash. Yeah, you've committed a crime. 100%. Certainly. On April 21st, 2003, Scott was arraigned before Judge Nancy Ashley in Stanislaus County Superior Court. He was charged with two felony counts of murder with premeditation in special circumstances. 
the first degree murder of Lacey and the second degree murder of Connor. He pleaded not guilty and was held with bail. Scott's trial began June 1st, 2004, and the state's case had only one piece of forensic evidence, but a lot of circumstantial evidence, a lot, a lot, a lot. The one forensic item was a piece of Lacey's hair stuck in the prongs of a pair of pliers in Scott's boat. Now, since Scott had only very recently purchased this boat and he stored it at his warehouse at work, I have inferred that Lacey has never been in this boat. No. I can guarantee you there's not a single piece of my hair stuck in any of Keegan's pliers. Oh, no. No. Not even the ones near my person at times of the day. No. I leave a trail of hair behind me everywhere I fucking go. But I guarantee none of my hairs are in any of the scissors in this house or the pliers. Mm -mm. No. Scott was found guilty on November 12th, 2004. Um, So that was a long fucking trial. Yep. The jury convicted Scott of two counts of murder. First degree murder with special circumstances for killing Lacey and second degree murder for killing the fetus she carried. Um, The sentencing phase began November 30th and concluded on December 13th with a sentence of death. Yep. And... Numerous appeals have been filed in the years since his conviction, and on August 24th, 2020, in a 7-0 decision, the Supreme Court of California upheld Peterson's conviction but overturned his death sentence. Peterson's trial judge, Alfred DeLucci, who had died on February 26th of 2008, had dismissed jurors who opposed capital punishment without asking them whether they could put their views aside. Justice Leandra Kruger explained that per Supreme Court ruling since 1968, quote, Jurors may not be excused merely for opposition to the death penalty, but only for views rendering them unable to fairly consider imposing that penalty in accordance with their oath. This is the meaning of the guarantee of an impartial jury. So, I mean, when somebody's sentenced to death, there is an automatic appeals process that begins almost right after the initial trial is concluded. So really from 2004 all the way to 2020, he's filing appeals, which I think is pretty typical with capital murder cases in general Mm -hmm. and especially death row inmates because they have nothing to lose. They're just going to keep appealing until all of their appeals are exhausted. Right. Um, so, and the media circus in this case is really what sank the ship, honestly, yeah. because they had a lot of issues with jury selection. If you watch any of the documentaries on this, um, the jury selection was a huge problem because, like, in the case of Jessica Runyon's and Kara Kapetsky, they just transferred... They're selecting their jury pool from St. Louis, the mm-hmm. other side of the state, to try and get jurors who aren't tainted by the media coverage. But yep. in this case, 
media coverage of the Lacey Peterson case was national for years. Right. From, like, the moment of her disappearance all the way until trial. So even switching a few counties away, there's not a single person who didn't know about this case. Exactly. So that was a real struggle. Oh, man. So the theories portion, there are only a few theories here. So first it's that Scott killed Lacey because he didn't want to be a husband and father anymore because he wanted to start a new life with his girlfriend, Amber, whatever, whatever. This wouldn't be the first time. No. That someone is. Right. Exactly. Uh, We call those family annihilators. Yeah. Which, because I think that Scott killed her. I mean, Uh, to me, there's no doubt. Uh, Yes. I mean, I would think he would be a family annihilator, even though. Even though Connor wasn't born yet, he still died because of this. Right. And it it would be, he is thinking of Connor as a a burden. A a burden, yes. So I think family annihilator is, I think he would fall into that category for sure. Yeah. And I never understand these people because, like we said earlier, just leave. Yeah, it's been done. People do it all the time. People... I mean, yeah, you're probably a dick um, for leaving your your pregnant wife because you want to be with someone else, but it's certainly better than murdering them. People would have much more respect for you if you, you know, you go to this convention, you meet this girl, you fall in love with her, and then you're like, well, I, I'm in love with this new person, but I have a wife who's pregnant. What's the best thing for me to do? I guess the option is divorce. Yeah. So then you get what a divorce. What other option should anyone think about? Exactly. I mean, you shouldn't just cheat on your wife because that's just disgusting. Yeah. And hurts everyone. You shouldn't lie to your new girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Although she probably wouldn't sleep with you if she knew that you had a pregnant wife. Right. So it just... I don't know why these people just kill their families in order to be with someone else. Just go be with that person. Yeah, just fucking... I mean, if I was pregnant, I would get over it. You know, it would suck. It would be terrible. Yeah, if but you're, I'd get over it. If your husband was cheating on you in the first place, I'd yeah. be like, get the fuck out of here. Exactly. Which kind of leads especially into... Especially when you're pregnant. Especially. Like, I don't have time for your bullshit. Um... Which, which kind of leads into another, like, sub-theory is that Scott maybe didn't fully premeditate this murder. Um, it's possible that during the time that Lacey was on the computer that morning, he, she, because there was a login to his email, maybe she opened his email and saw something in there from Amber or about Amber and was like, Oh, he's cheat, and he has a history of cheating. So maybe she had noticed his behavior mm-hmm. and was looking in there, discovered that he had been hanging out with Amber, and confronted him, and then he fucking killed her. Yeah, because I mean, they're when they searched the house, they did find some luggage that was out and like open. 
Like it was being prepared to be packed. So she could have discovered Amber and then he just killed her. Instead of being like, you know what? You're right. I found this girl. I'm going to go be with her. Yeah. You know. So that's another theory. So then there's also the theory that um, people actually think Scott is innocent and that Lacey was out on a walk and was abducted. Yep. Um, many people have come forward saying that they saw Lacey walking their dog on December 24th during the time that Scott was at Berkeley. Um, however, all of the eyewitnesses have stated that she was wearing black pants and a blouse, which is what she had been wearing on December 23rd. And those clothes were found at their house. So, I mean, to me, I can see why people would think that because the dog is running around unleashed. Mm-hmm. But maybe that was that was that something was, to cover it up. Yeah. Like, oh, I mean, I our dog was in the backyard with the leash on. Yeah. That's super weird. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think she was abducted on a walk. I don't think so either. Especially, I mean, especially in that neighborhood. I'm yeah. assuming it was the middle of the day. Now, I know those things happen. Yeah, these things happen. I think really, because wrongful convictions happen all the time. And, you know, we've talked about that before. But I think at the end of the day, when I look at Scott's timeline, all other weird, stupid decisions aside, the bodies of Lacey and Connor were found just north of Berkeley, right. where he had been fishing mm-hmm. that day. Mm-hmm. So that is wildly coincidental if Lacey had been abducted. Right. If Lacey had been abducted in Modesto and her abductor drove an hour and 36 minutes to Berkeley, the Berkeley area to dump her. And then her husband just happened to have been at the Berkeley Marina. Very ironic. Very ironic. Mm -hmm. He, that, that would make him the unluckiest person on the earth. Yes. Um, so obviously our final thought, is uh, that he definitely fucking did that. Yeah, he, he he did that shit for sure. So, that's it, you guys. Yes. Um, I mean, it's a pretty convoluted case, I think. Yeah, I think so. But it's not hard to follow. No. No. It's very cut and dry. There's just a lot. There's a lot. Like, the timeline is... I think the reason that we needed to put in the entire thing is because it shows... What he's worried about. Right. And how ridiculous it is of him to put in all that stupid shit. I know. I literally just ordered you breakfast this morning and I just sat here to think about what I got you and it took me a second to remember what I ordered you. So why the fuck would he remember exactly? Yeah. The food thing is just still the, oh, this is a cereal she ate. She bought it at Trader Joe's. Here's the receipt. Yes, thank you for your receipt for the cereal in your home. I don't think you stole this. Yeah. It it, it just, the amount of detail is just ridiculous. Yeah. And it just shows that he... It's word vomit. Yes. And he's 
he's trying very hard to seem like, no, I remember my whole day. I can account for every single minute of that day. I'm definitely not guilty. Yeah, and I think what's more believable, and like on Serial, when she is kind of like, I just don't understand how Adnan just doesn't really have a great memory of this day. So she goes around like asking other people that would have been his age, and they're like, oh shit, I don't know. Did I go to the movies that night? I mean, I could probably tell you what I did yesterday, but that's because I worked from home yeah i wouldn't yeah i would i don't know what keegan had for breakfast yesterday no literally i don't even know if he drank coffee yesterday i'm gonna assume he did yeah it's yeah i think it's when a day is just a normal ass fucking day there's nothing that stands out. there's nothing that stands out christmas or not christmas or not i mean i can remember yesterday pretty much yeah, probably not time stamped or no. whatever, but I know what I did mainly because I went to work, but I got vaccinated yesterday mm-hmm. and then went to Ariel's party. So my evening, I do remember I got vaccinated at four o'clock. I was there until about 4.30 because they make you sit there 15 minutes after you get it to make sure you don't react. And then I had to come back home, get in Dakota's car, get ready, get in Dakota's car be in Archie by like 7 30 mm-hmm. like I know those things because these are events but you also don't remember like oh yeah I remember we passed a red truck yeah on no. the road no you know that yeah. makes it suspicious yeah when it's generalized you know I can say I think I woke up around like 7 30 yesterday because I was working from home I didn't have to work till eight probably grabbed breakfast at like nine this is what time I made my kids food, you know. Yeah. The specifics is what's weird, and uh, he was very specific, so. Mm-hmm. He did it. That's it. He did um, it. And that's the end. That's the end. That's <clears throat> the end, folks. So, we're just going to wrap this up because. She long. She's long. I have a shit ton of things to do. I'm about to take the kids to my mom's. Um, cause painting in a house with children is just a ridiculous thing to do. Yeah. I don't know how many times we had to scream, don't touch the walls last night. Cause we did the trim in the kitchen and that was stressful. Yeah. I can only imagine. So as always, Haley and Ariel, we love you very much. You guys are amazing. You are majestic. You are talented. That's You're right. lovely gorgeous keep doing what you're doing stunning and uh you know if you want to help us out hop on and give us a little five-star review we would love that maybe Mm. type us up a little review if you want we the new one on there is great um so you could hop on there and read what's on there and uh you know visit our socials send us a message yeah, follow our TikToks. Yep. All right, peoples. That's it. This is the end. The we're, end. We're going to go do some other shit now. So, yeah. in the meantime, we're going to need you to just be kind out there. And stay weird. Okay, bye.